2018 is our 90th anniversary as a church. What started as an outstation of Greenslopes Baptist Church in 1928 with a vision to reach young people with the gospel has become a multi-generational church, active in mission, in our community, our nation and right around the world. Through the years, God has done more than we've ever asked, dreamed or imagined. And this year we have a really exciting opportunity to plant some new outstations or campuses as we call them now, to reach more people in more communities with the life-changing message of Jesus than ever before. Ever since we established our campus down here in Ormo, we've believed that one day we would have a permanent presence in the Ormo and the Northern Gold Coast community. And we're really excited that at the end of last year, we took the first step towards that when we got a hold of this great facility in Ormo that very soon is gonna be the home of Gateway Care. And on March 18 this year, we're looking forward to launching two of our great care ministries in the Gateway Op Shop and the Gateway Counseling and Wholeness Centre right here in Ormo. We believe that this physical place is going to be a place of great blessing, a place of great healing, a place where people are cared for, supported, resourced, and uh, have people to walk alongside them in their journey. Encourage you to continue to pray for us as we launch this, but look forward to hearing some of the stories of life change and transformation. This is our site here at the Redlands YMCA in Victoria Point where we will be launching our Redlands campus. You know, we've got plans here to bring God's sport and the community together to see lives transformed and set apart uh, for His purposes. We've got plans to see a Gateway Counseling and Wholeness Centre. We've got plans to run kids and youth activities throughout the week. And with your generosity, we're gonna provide a service that's gonna be a huge blessing uh, to those in this area. So the narrative that began on this site in the 1970s has continued into now, and we have a wonderful opportunity to be a part of that. Uh, so please keep us in your prayerful thoughts as we move towards our launch in April. God has called Gateway to Logan. We're excited about planning a campus right here in this facility. We know that God has called us to find a leadership team that will come and serve in this area, to be able to raise up a church family of faith that will stand with them, and also to take this building and facility and create a ministry centre that will be able to reach out to the community of this city with the life-giving message of Jesus. Will you stand with us in faith as we see this pioneering work take shape in Logan, as we see the gospel of Jesus Christ go to the four corners of our city? The city of Brisbane is full of people from different backgrounds, different cultures and different countries, all with various aspirations and skills. The city is also a place of influence. Over the past 18 months, my wife Megan and I have had a growing sense of call to plant a campus here in the urban centre of Brisbane. And we are praying that God will miraculously provide the people and the resources so we can be a permanent presence here. And so more and more people can hear the life-changing, life-transforming message of Jesus Christ. Our 90th year is going to be an exciting year at Gateway and I want to encourage you to be part of making history in 2018. Firstly, pray with us. Join us at our campus prayer meetings as we cry out to God for more people in our communities to come to know Jesus. Secondly, I want to encourage you to give. We've already seen some miracles of provision and we're all going to have an opportunity to give a 90th birthday gift later in the year to create more places for more people to know Jesus. And thirdly, I want to encourage some of you to go. 
to be part of a new team at a new campus to reach the people that you live, work and laugh with, with the life-changing message of Jesus. Who's excited about what God's going to do this year? Come on, who's excited about what God's going to do? God is good. He's had us on this journey for some time to, uh, to continue to, to share the gospel and to plant campuses so that more people can come to know Jesus. And it's, uh, this year is going to be a really exciting year. I'm absolutely convinced that, that God is in this. You see, God loves cities because cities are full of people. And He loves every person in this city. Do you believe that this morning? Come on, I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God loves the people of this city? Every age, every background, every nationality, you know, every, every stance of faith, wherever they're at in their journey, God loves every person in this city. He longs for them to be in a personal relationship with Him. He longs for them to know Jesus. I'm going to pray right now that as we read a, a story of an ancient city and the people in that city and the way that God's heart broke for them, that God would break our heart for the people of our city today. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us. We sung it this morning. You're good. You are good. We sung it over and over again. You are so good. You are faithful. Your love endures forever and your faithfulness throughout the generations. God, thank you. Thank you that you came and made yourself known. Thank you that you've come and you saved us and you've rescued us. God, I thank you that your, your, your message, your life-giving message, the gospel is for all people. God, I pray this morning that you would give us your heart for the people that we live, work and laugh with. Give us your heart for the people of this city. God, would you break our heart with what breaks yours? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finish our Expect More series uh, this morning. I really believe that God's word to us in 2018 is simply that, expect more. As we look back on all that God has done in the last 90 years, there's so much to give thanks for. God has been so good to us. But I believe as we, as we look into the future, and as we look at what God is, is uh, doing this year, He's calling us to expect more than what we've ever seen before. And over the last few weeks, we've been journeying through the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is a, it's a story of ordinary people like you and me, uh, many of whom saw Jesus uh, rise from the dead, saw him ascend to heaven, you know, weeks later. And uh, they continued his ministry on the earth. They continued to minister to people in the name of Jesus and saw incredible things happen. They were ordinary people filled with the Spirit doing extraordinary things for God. They expected that God can do, could do more than what they've ever seen before. And one of them was a guy named Saul. And uh, Saul was an ex-murderer who had such a, a life-changing encounter with Jesus that it changed the whole course of his life and actually changed his name. 
He became Paul, or as uh, we know him now as Saint Paul, wrote a whole bunch of, of the New Testament. And Paul, got his, his heart, you know, got so transformed by Jesus that he devoted his whole life to sharing the message of Jesus with as many people as he could and planting churches in as many cities as he could. We're going to pick up the story in a spot where he's already been on one road trip. He's already taken the gospel to some cities and uh, planted some churches and people have come to know Jesus. He's now back in Jerusalem and uh, it's time to go on another road trip and to go further with the gospel than they've ever been before, to plant churches in cities that have never heard the name of Jesus before. And uh, I'm just going to quickly skim through it because there's too much to read this morning, but it'll be on the screen behind me. You know, Paul goes from Jerusalem to the cities of Lystra and Derby, and uh, he, he's been to those cities before, and he gets there and he strengthens the churches, and it says that more people come to know Jesus as he preaches the gospel there. And he wants to go further north into Asia, but uh, it says that the Holy Spirit actually stopped him from going north and pushed him to further to the west. And he's heads on quite a long journey and ends up in a city called Troas. And in, in Troas, he's asleep one night and uh, he has a, God gives him a vision in the middle of the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come and help. Come and bring your message of good news. And now Paul has never been across the sea to Macedonia or to the area that we now know as Europe. He's never, the gospel's never been there. Paul's never been there. And churches have never been planted there. But he get, because God gives him this dream uh, and he sees this vision of a man calling him to go, he goes, he gets on a little boat and he goes across the sea and he goes to a city called Philippi. And in Philippi, he begins to, uh, preached the gospel and he walks around, finds a place to pray and uh, sits down next to the river. And there's a woman there selling purple shirts. Now, who'd want to buy a purple shirt? I got no idea. Jason Fittis found one to uh, buy during the week and uh, he looks ridiculous. But, uh, you know, I, don't, I got no idea why anyone would want to buy a purple shirt. But Lydia's there selling purple shirts and, uh, and Paul sits down and starts talking to her. Never heard about Jesus before. She comes to know uh, Jesus and so does her whole family. And then they're walking through town and there's a woman there that uh, is possessed by a demon and she's able to tell the future and her slave owners are making a lot of money out of her. But after a little while, Paul and his mate Silas pray for her and she's completely set free of this demon, completely free. And no longer is she possessed by a demon and no longer does she tell the future. And the slave owners aren't too happy about this because they were making a lot of money out of her. And so they get a little posse together and decide to strip Paul and Silas naked, beat them with sticks and put them in prison. And so Paul's sitting there in prison and, uh, and, and then God sets them free. And they're set free from prison. And the, the prison guard there is so scared that he decides to end his life. But Paul says, don't. Preaches the gospel to him and he gets saved and his whole family gets saved. But they need to escape from Philippi before they get put in prison again. And they go to the city of Thessalonica. Let me try this again. 
I've been practicing this all week. Thessalonica. It's, it's not easy for simpletons like me. Thessalon, Thess, that city. He gets there. Gets there and he, he preaches uh, the gospel there and a bunch of people uh, come to faith there, but some others aren't too happy about it and they get all their cousins together and they decide to, uh, to beat Paul and Silas up. And so Paul and Silas escape to Berea and they share the gospel there and more people come to know Jesus there that have never heard about Jesus before. But the people from Thessalonica, they just, those thugs come and they decide to beat him up again. But uh, there's a really good bloke in the the city of Berea. His name is Jason. He's an awesome fella. He deserves a lot more credit than what he gets. Who didn't even know Jason was in the Bible? Put your hand up. He's a saint, Saint Jason. He's a good bloke and he, he hides Paul and Silas and he's a generous bloke as all Jasons are. He gets his wallet out and he, he pays them to us so they can pay their bond so they can stay out of jail and he gets them safely uh, to Berea from Thessalonica. And again, they're there and he preach, they preach the gospel. People want to beat them up and so they grab Paul. And they rush him to Athens before he gets killed. This is no European river cruise that Paul and Silas are on. They're not just jumping on a little boat and having fun looking at all the ancient sites. Well, they're not ancient yet. You know, they're, 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 they're not there as tourists just having a fun time. Everywhere they go. They preach the gospel about Jesus Christ to people who have never heard his name before and lives get transformed, whole families get redeemed, churches get planted. It's an incredible joy. But they also get stripped naked, beaten with sticks and thrown in prison. There's a sacrifice to this. And there still is. If we want to share the gospel today, the sacrifices might be a little different. The joys will be similar. People's lives will be changed. Families will get redeemed. Worshipping communities will get planted. It'll transform people's lives for generations. My grandfather walked into a church in, in 1952. Didn't know Jesus No one in his family were Christians. Someone there preached the gospel. And that day, my grandfather put his faith in Jesus Christ. 6th of July, 1952. Four generations later, my grandfather's passed away, but my 98-year-old grandmother's still alive. And when we get together, every person in that room knows Jesus. And Jesus has transformed their lives and he's using us to transform other people's lives. The joys will be the same. We get to see lives transformed. We get to see churches planted. But there'll always be a sacrifice. Thankfully for us today in Australia... It's not the same in the Middle East where Susan's taken a team to work with Janine. You listen to some of her stories. There are people on her team that have been stripped naked, beaten with sticks and thrown in prison for sharing the good news about Jesus. Here in Australia, the sacrifices are a little different. But there will be sacrifices. It's going to to take all of us to see more and more people in this city come to know Jesus. 
I just want to read a story from the city of Athens, which on the surface sounds like a really different city to Brisbane, but I actually think in its heart and soul, it's a very similar city to Brisbane, and God's got a message for us in it today. What, what God uses Paul to do in Athens, I believe he's calling us to do in Brisbane today. Acts chapter 17, if you just turn your Bibles to there, we're going to read it in some chunks. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, all right, he's just, he's just there to escape being put in prison again. While he's waiting for them in Athens, listen to this, he was greatly distressed. All right, this is a guy, you've got to understand, he's been stripped naked, he's been beaten up in every city he's been to, and he's been put in prison. That's not what causes him the greatest distress. Listen to what causes him the greatest distress. He was greatly distressed to see a city full of idols. That's what caused him distress. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of those, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They'd never heard about Jesus, all right? This is a city that hadn't heard about Jesus. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. But then Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens... I see that in every way you are very religious. Paul was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Everywhere he looked, there was altars like this with idols made of stone and, and, and metals, gold, silver and bronze. This actually isn't an idol. It's a, it's a piece of art from the Easter Islands, but it kind of looks like an idol. But everywhere Paul went, in the city of Athens, there was altars with idols made of stone. In fact, it said the city of Athens had 30,000 gods. It says that there was more gods than men in the city. Everywhere he looked, he could see idols, and he was distressed. He was absolutely distressed at what he saw, because he knew Paul knew that commandment one and two, this is kind of straight from the heart of God. Commandment one and two, you shall have no other gods before me. And commandment two, you shall not make for yourself any idol or image to bow down to. See, Paul is distressed because he knows that this city full of other gods is actually robbing glory from the one true living God. And he's distressed because he knows the people in this city that are bowing it down to all of these gods are actually being robbed of a relationship with the living God. That causes him to be distressed. He says, all the people of Athens would just sit around and talking about all of the latest ideas. They do nothing but talk about and listen to the latest ideas. You know, before there was Facebook on our phones, 
there was the Areopagus in Athens. People would sit around and do nothing but talk about all the latest ideas. Look at the latest ideas I found on Facebook this week. Manicured beards. You know, who, as if that's the latest idea. All of the men in Athens are standing around scratching their beard, just looking at each other, deciding how to wax them up better. You know, another thing I found on, uh, on Facebook this week was the 30-day challenge for paleo diet. It's the same thing the people of Athens were standing around doing. They're going, maybe we've got to get back to the caveman days and just eat what they ate. You know, this, this city of Athens it was a city where they did nothing but sit around and talk about the latest ideas. city of Brisbane today. There's a lot of sitting around doing nothing and just talking about latest ideas as if they were latest ideas. But he says, he says to the people of Athens, he says, I see that in every way you are very religious. It's important to, to understand the, the Greek here. That word see, it's actually not what he just sees with his eyes. He does look around and he, and he sees these idols set up, you know, throughout, throughout the city. But the word see there is actually the word that we get theorized from. He says, I understand. He says, he says I'm looking with my eyes, but I see beneath. I see what's actually going on here is that in every way you are very religious and we might look at our city of Brisbane today and say you know we're uh, not that religious we don't have a heap of you know stone idols to bow down to but I, I wonder if Paul would look at the city of Brisbane today and actually say something similar because just like the city of Athens was a city that everywhere you looked, there was an idea to build your life upon. There, there was a false God to find your identity in. There, there, there was, they kept inventing new gods because the ones they had were never enough. I wonder if he'd look around Brisbane and say a similar thing. You see, in Athens... Everywhere you looked, there was an idea to build your life upon. They, they actually worshipped knowledge. Now, the god of one of the main gods of Athens was the god Athena, and she was the god of wisdom and knowledge. It was one of the places where you went if, if you wanted to, uh, to, to, to learn. And there's nothing wrong with learning. Learning's a good thing. The city of Athens is full of philosophers. The, the, uh, even if you know nothing about philosophy, you know, you've probably heard of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. Well, they either were born in Athens or they went to Athens to study. It was the center of philosophy in the world. They, and learning's a good thing. Wisdom's a good thing. But they'd made it an ultimate thing. And they'd begun to worship wisdom and knowledge and to base their lives upon it. They also knew how to have a party, mind you. They, uh, they had a God also for, who was the God of wine and partying, a God called Bacchus. Again, good thing they turned into an ultimate thing to try and find identity and meaning and significance. They, they worshipped art. They weren't into art just for art's sake. They had a god named Apollos who was the god of music and art. They built theatres like no one had ever seen before. Once again, art's a good thing. 
But they actually bowed down and worshipped art. The God of art. They looked for their identity, their meaning, their significance in art. They worshipped fashion. Fashion's not something that we've just started worshipping in the last hundred years. They had a God called Aphrodite who was the God of, of beauty and, and, uh, and fashion. And in some places around the city, they'd have statues like our mannequins today with no heads on them. And, and sometimes that was because invading armies had come through and lopped their heads off. But there were other places it was done intentionally. And there was, uh, were, were uh, like mannequins with all different fashions on and they had interchangeable heads to, 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 so that they could decide what fashion they wanted on their head at that time. They, they, could, they found their image, they found their, they found their identity, sorry, in image and fashion. They worshipped it. They had the biggest marketplace of anywhere in the world. This is where, where, where Paul is speaking in the marketplace. This is called the Agora. It's where the marketplace in the, in the world uh, you know, actually began. This is kind of like the original Wall Street. They would come and they would, they would share ideas and they would accumulate wealth. And one of the ideas was the more wealth you got, you know, the more significant your life was. And so they decided to have a God of wealth, the God of Plutus. Again, good thing, they turn into an ultimate thing. And they worshipped wealth. They even worshipped sport. There were times where they actually got rebuked for worshipping sport. Who knows the name of the god of sport in ancient Athens? Nike. That's true. That's the name of the ancient god of sport in Athens is the god Nike. See, they found their identity and significance in defeating an opponent on the sporting and the athletics field. See, at first glance, you'd say the city of Athens was a really different city to the city of Brisbane, but you kind of have a look at this up here and you see it's actually not that different. We live in a city today where people are trying to find identity, meaning, significance in good things that We've made ultimate things. And the problem is they'll never be enough. Just like Athens needed more and more gods because the gods they had weren't enough. The things that we turn to to find meaning and significance and our identity will never be enough. Paul looks at this in the city of Athens and he's distressed. I guess my question for you this morning as you look at the city of Brisbane, and at least 90% of our population are actually looking for identity and meaning and significance in something other than the one living God who's revealed himself in Jesus. Are you distressed? Does it distress you like it distresses Paul? That God is being robbed of his glory and people are being robbed of a relationship with the living God. Does it distress you? Paul says to him, you're a city full of ideas and a city full of gods, but you have no idea who God is. This is a pretty bold statement. Listen to what he says next. He says, as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, in the midst of the altars to ideas and to gods and ideas to build your life upon was this inscription. They had an altar just like all of the other gods had altars, but this one had nothing on it, and it said to an unknown god. You see, what had happened about 500 years earlier there was a plague that went through all of Greece and, and people were just dropping like flies in Athens. And so they tried to, uh, to offer sacrifices to all the gods. They thought one of the gods is unhappy with them. And that's why people are dying in the plague. And so they offered sacrifices to all the gods and still the plague continued and more and more people died. So they brought in this prophet or this philosopher named Epimenides. Now he's probably a better way of pronouncing that name, but that's as good as you're going to get from me. And uh, Epimenides said, well, if, if, if we've offered sacrifices to all the gods, you know, we, there may be some gods that we don't know about. And so he got a whole bunch of hungry sheep I don't know if he starved them first or how he knew they were hungry, but they were hungry. And he let them go through Athens and they wandered around and, and, he's, and he got people to follow them. And he said, if one of those hungry sheep lied down, it's a sign that that's the God we need to offer a sacrifice to. Because hungry sheep, they will keep grazing. They won't stop and lie down. Uh, bad luck if you're a lazy sheep because you got slaughtered. But, uh, and so they're following these sheep around and wherever these sheep stopped, if they stopped in front of one of the, the altars to one of these gods, it got slaughtered and offered as a sacrifice to try and keep the gods happy. But if a, if a sheep stopped where there was no altar, there was no God, the people figured there must be a God we don't know about. There must be a power beyond all of these gods that we do know. There must be a power that's greater than what we currently know in this city. And so if a sheep stopped in a spot where there was no God, they slaughtered the sheep there and they offered us as a sacrifice to an unknown God. And so the people of Athens for hundreds of years actually knew, believed, that there was a God that they didn't know about. And so here Paul turns up in the city of Athens to a place that, that, that worships knowledge, a place that has more knowledge than any city at the time on earth, has Plato's Academy in the city. And he says, I want to let you know about the God that you know you don't know about because I do know him. I want to let you know about the God you already know you don't know about because I do know him. This is what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth and he does not live in a temple built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. It was his idea 
so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. In a city full of ideas and gods and a city full of people who have no idea who God is, Paul says to them, there is a God in heaven. He's the maker of heaven and earth and you have always been his idea, always. Your name was written in his book before one of them even came to be. You don't know him, but he knows you. And he always has, he always has. He says, I am here today to shine a light on who this God is. There's nothing that you can fashion that's actually going to depict His greatness. He's greater than anything you can make with your hands. You know, there's no temple you can house Him in. There's no way that the glory and the greatness and the majesty and the power of God can actually be housed in any one temple. But this God who is so great, He's so much more powerful than what you've ever imagined. He says, this God, there's a reason all of you've never been able to find enough gods. They've never been enough for you because there is one true and living God and he made you. He made you and it's only in him that life makes sense. It's only in him that life will ever be enough. Because in Him, we live and we move and we have our being. We, even as your own prophets have said, we're His offspring. We're His kids. If you're a parent here, you know this is true. You loved your kids even before you got to meet them. I've had the... Oh, joy's the wrong. I've had the privilege of walking with some families through some of the darkest times in their life as they've lost children in childbirth or they've, uh, they've lost kids on the, on the journey of pregnancy. Parents, incredible grief. They've never met this child. But they're, they're, they're grieving because they already love them, even though they've never seen them. I remember I only had a tiny glimpse of this in my life and I feel very blessed that I've only ever had a tiny glimpse of it because some of you have had a far darker glimpse of it than than what I have. But when Susan was pregnant with our first daughter, Jess, you know, she was six months pregnant and I fell asleep driving and rolled our car down the highway many, many times and I woke up and Susan was unconscious, pregnant with Jess She got taken in an ambulance to the hospital. When we got there, the nurse tried to find a heartbeat and couldn't find a heartbeat of this baby that we'd never met, but we'd already called Jessica. I remember it was an hour between when that nurse said we can't find a heartbeat and when a doctor came in and did something differently and did find a heartbeat. It was just one hour. I remember the grief of that hour. This baby that we already loved, I thought we'd lost. 
incredible grief. Some of you know that, as I said, some of you know that grief far greater than I ever will. What Paul's saying here is that's the way God feels about every person in the city of Athens. You might have no idea who he is, but you've always been his idea. You are not an accident. He appointed the time in history for you to live, and he appointed this city, the city of Athens, for you to live in. That's not an accident. He knew it was going to happen. You're his offspring. In a city full of ideas and gods, in a city full of people who have no idea who God is, is a city full of people who have always been God's idea. And that's true in the city of Brisbane. There is not one person you'll ever lock eyes with that God didn't intend to be here. There's not one person you'll ever lock eyes with that wasn't. God didn't have, you know, a a, a painting, a thought of them in his mind on a wall before the beginning of time. Says every single one of us are God's masterpiece. Every single, every single one of us were, were fashioned in our mother's womb. Every single one of us, we were all days ordained for us, were written in his book, were sitting on his wall before even one of them came to be. God loves the people of this city. He loves every person you live, work and laugh with. He loves every person you lock eyes with. He loves every person. It does not matter how far their hearts have turned away from Him. It doesn't matter what stupid things they're trying to find their sense of identity in, what they're trying to find their meaning and their significance in. His heart is still for them. He's a God who loves them. He's a God who wants nothing more for them to come home to a relationship with Him. And this is our appointed time to shine a light on who this unknown God is in our city. This is our time. It's our time to help the people that God loves come to know Him. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, since we're God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands, listen to this, all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Since we are God's offspring, it would be crazy to think that God is somehow something that can be carved by human hands and human design and human skill. I mean, I'm no wallflower. I'm no work of art. But even I'm better looking than this bloke. It'd be crazy to think that the God who actually made us, made the complexity and the beauty and the wonder of our bodies, just turn to the person next to you and say, you've got a wonderful body. It's true. It's true. Your body, your body and your mind and the way that you feel things, it's, it's wonderful. It's incredible. It'd be crazy to think 
that the God who actually made that and put that all together, you could somehow carve into stone with the very hands that He made. He's bigger than that. He's better than that. He's the only God that will ever be enough. His grace is sufficient for us. He's the one who can bring life and meaning. And he has given us life and life everlasting. You see, we are his offspring. We are his kids, but we're wayward kids. Every single one of us in this room and every single one of us in every city in the world, our our hearts have turned away from God and have turned to other things. You know, sometimes we we see sin as just the naughty things we do we get a rap over the knuckles for. But essentially sin is when we miss the mark with God. That's when we go chasing after things that aren't of God, that are good things, but lesser things. And we miss the mark and they're never enough for us. You see, that, that turning of our hearts from God, what the Bible calls sin, It's actually deserving of death. God always said there'd be a punishment for this. You can choose life or death. Please choose life. But we haven't. We've chosen death. We've chosen to chase after other things. And the punishment is that that this life will come to an end. There's a time when God overlooks our ignorance. He overlooks, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, uh, that we've, we've not turned to him. But there is a day coming when he will judge the world. And we'll all face judgment. And Jesus will be our judge. You see, the unknown, this is the good news. This is the good news, people. The unknown God wants to be known. He made himself known. He came from heaven to earth and he actually put on flesh like us so that we could know him, we could see him, we could understand what he's like, how he feels, who he is, how much he loves us. And this is how much he loves us. At the end of his life, he he went to a cross and he, he died, he took on the death that we deserved because we turned away from God. He never had. But he took that death for us. He took that punishment for us. He faced death and judgment from God, so his Father, so that we never have to. And if we would just put our faith in Jesus, the one who came to save us, the one who is Lord of of heaven and earth, then, then the Father promises to give us eternal life. It begins now, a life of meaning, a life of significance, a life where we find our identity in Christ, but it's a life everlasting. And there will be a day. There'll be a day of judgment for us. There'll be a day of judgment for this city. And God's overlooked ignorance for a time, but there's a time where he's appointed Jesus to be that judge to come again and to separate sheep and goats, to separate those who are going to life and those who are going to death. Paul says to the people of Athens and, and to the people of Brisbane today, that man he's appointed is, is Jesus and he's proved 
that he's got the, the power to do this and has proved that he actually is the one living God because he was raised from the dead. Hundreds of people saw it and thousands, in fact, millions of people have testified to it throughout the generations. He's the one that's going to judge us. He's the one that's risen from the dead. And you see, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead changes everything. See, one of our own philosophers today, Elaine de Botton, said that religion, you know, is any man-made idea to try and resolve our human condition. And we, we live in a world today, he's right, he live in a world today where people have come up with all sorts of man-made ideas to try and resolve our human condition. And just like the people of Athens, we don't need another religion. We actually need a resurrection. We need God to come and give us new life, to change us from the inside out. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead changes everything. He did not come to give us a new religion. He came to give us new life and life everlasting. It's only in Jesus that we can know God and we can live forever with God. I tell you, our city needs Jesus. Our city doesn't need another boring, stuffy religion. Our city doesn't need, you know, another, uh, another altar to bow down to. Our city needs the living Jesus. And here's the good news. God has put his Holy Spirit in ordinary people like you and me to be the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus today in this city. We get to, like Paul, like Paul 2,000 years ago, we get to be the people today that help people to see who this unknown God is. People are supposed to look in at the church, at ordinary people like you and me, see the love, see the grace, see the compassion, see the power, see the truth and say, now I know who God is. That's our joy today. And it's also our sacrifice. And it will be a sacrifice. But you see, we live in a city full of people that desperately need Jesus. Cities like ours need Jesus because cities are full of people. And cities need churches because cities are full of people who need Jesus. That's why we've got to plant more churches that's why we've got to see more campuses spring up around this city where more people can come to know Jesus. Because nothing that anyone else in this city, that any other thing that people in this city turn to will ever be enough. You know, Paul, if you go back to the start of this story, you know, Paul could just think, you know, it's just an accident that I'm here. I'm only in Athens because I got chased out of, you know, Philippi, then Thessalonica, and then Berea, and now I've landed here. I'm not here for any real purpose. But back at the start of the story, he's just sitting there, and he's waiting for the others, and he's moved to action because he's distressed. He's distressed. God moves in his heart. He distresses at what he sees in this city. A city that's turned from God, trying to find identity, meaning, and significance in other things. And so he preaches the gospel. 
If you read on next couple of verses, you see there's a few people that come to know Jesus and one of them becomes the first bishop of the church in Athens. The church gets planted in Europe. You see the events we've just looked at today is the first time the gospel went to Europe because someone got on a boat and started to preach about Jesus to people who didn't know him and planted a church. And hundreds of years later, and there's some ways that they went about it that weren't particularly good. But hundreds of years later, some other people got on a boat from Europe and brought the gospel from Europe to Australia. And somehow, as I said, even though it wasn't particularly done well at times, somehow God in his grace used their witness to shine a light on who God is. People came to know Jesus and the church got planted in this nation and we got to know Jesus. And you see, now is our appointed time. Now is our time. We don't have to get on a boat, but we're going to start heading down the road. You see, in 1928, Reverend Edward and Keith riding his horse down Logan Road, he was distressed. He was distressed that the kids he was talking to about Jesus in the local schools had no Sunday school to go to in a time before automobiles. And so he says, I'm going to take the gospel to them. I'm going to plant a church right there so they can walk to Sunday school in Holland Park. So he got on his horse and he rode down to Holland Park and planted a church there so that young people could know Jesus. And who here knows today that there are young people right across our city growing up who have no idea who Jesus is? No idea. And then others made a sacrifice Years later, in fact, many people made many sacrifices over the years to see the church in Holland Park grow and eventually get in their cars and drive to this piece of land and pray over this piece of land and make sacrifices to build this building so that more people could come to know Jesus in this city. And just a few years ago, we sent 40 people on their horse down the road to, uh, to Ormo. And uh, we started a campus down there and we started to tell people about Jesus down there. And there's a church down there of now over 250 people who are part of that church. And this year, God's calling us. We don't, thankfully, we don't have to get in a boat. And thankfully, we probably won't get stripped naked, beaten with sticks and thrown in prison. But there'll be sacrifices that need to be made to go to Redlands in April, particularly when you've got a, a campus pastor who wears purple shirts. I mean, you, they, they need some help down there in the Redlands. But uh, I tell you, you know what's exciting? We were praying for 80 people to go to Redlands with uh, Jason Ange. You know, there's now over 200 people that are going to go to the city of Redlands and start to share the gospel so that people can come to know Jesus. And just a few months later, we're going to hike across to Logan. And so uh, some more people in Logan can come to know Jesus because, I don't know if you know, uh, the, the city of Logan, the city of Brisbane, there, there are families that are broken. There are families that are desperate for hope, desperate for help. And this is our appointed time. This is our time to take the good news of Jesus and to plant churches so that people's lives can be transformed. And there are families, there are families in this city who have never heard about Him, got no idea what He can do in their lives. And then in some months later, we're going to head right into the centre of this city. We're going to pray there this Tuesday night and encourage you to come. We're going to head right into the centre of this city where more and more people every year are re-establishing themselves as families in the city. 
fastest growing area in, in Queensland at the moment, in the city. We're going to take the good news into, into the city along with many, many others. And we're going to do our part because this is our appointed time. This is our appointed place to share the good news so that this city can come to know Jesus. I want to ask you one last time this morning. Are you distressed? Are you distressed when you look around our city and our city is full of idols, full of ideas to build your life upon? Are you stressed when you look around our city and people have no idea who God is? Even though He's made Himself known, He's come, He's done all the work for us. Are you distressed? I, I hope just a little bit. I hope your heart breaks a little bit for this city, the way God's heart breaks for this city. He longs for every person to come home. There's not a person you ever lock eyes with that's outside of the reach of His love. There's not a family. There's not a family that you walk alongside that's outside of His power to redeem. There, there is no one. There is no one in your workplace. There's no one in your schoolyard. There is no one in your university that, that is without hope because Jesus has hope for every single person. This is our time. This is our point in history to shine a light on who this unknown God is to so many people and help people know Jesus. Can we stand together this morning? God, would you, would you this morning, would you break our hearts with what breaks yours? Oh God, God, help us to feel the way you feel about people. Help us to feel your love. Help us to feel your compassion. God, by your Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts with hope? God, would you fill our hearts with hope for healing and redemption to come? God, would you help us to be that light in this city that helps people to see who you are? That we would walk alongside people, walk alongside people that you love and help them to see the God of love. God, break our hearts with what breaks yours. God, like Paul, would you move us to action because we feel the way that you feel about the people in this city. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a bunch of things we can do in response. Some of them immediate. Some of them are going to take some time. I'm going to give us a chance to pray this morning, to pray for our city. And we got a chance to do that on Tuesday night. We encourage you just to keep praying. I just believe that God is going to pour out more power through more prayer. Some of you, and some of you already signed up, you're ready to go, you're ready to go and plant one of these campuses to see people in your community, the people you live, work and laugh with come to know Jesus. This is an awesome thing to do. This is our time to make faith real in the marketplace. We've never been called to have a private faith. We're called to have a public faith to go into the marketplace and to share the good news about who Jesus is. And I am going to ask you this year to give generously. None of this happens without a, a cost. Now, I'm pretty thankful the cost today isn't getting thrown in prison 
but there is a cost and it will hurt. Cost, when it comes to money, always hurts. It's one of those things that uh, can easily become a God in our lives. I'm going to ask you to give generously this year, right throughout this year. What, what God's called us to do this year is more than what we've ever attempted to do before. Really believe God's in it. I believe there's a bunch of us here are going to have to step up and to, to give sacrificially and to give generously to see it happen. Week by week, Sunday by Sunday, and it will hurt. There is a cost. And I am going to ask us later in the year at our 90th celebration in August to bring a special gift to help us become one church in five locations so we can reach more people in this city for Jesus. I'm giving you plenty of warning that that's coming. I'm going to ask you to start praying about how God's calling you to give to actually see this happen. It's a big step of faith for us this year as a church. But I believe it is God that's calling us to do it because He loves this city and He wants more people to come to know Him. Hey, I'd love right now, the team's going to lead us in a song which just talks about God of this city, just expecting Him to do more than what we've ever seen before. But right now, just where you are, just close your eyes. Just, just let God break your heart with what breaks His. It might be a people group in the city. It might be an age group. It might be a family you know. It might be really singular. It might be an issue that lots of people struggle with. What is it? What is it that you're feeling God's distress over? in our city. Just, just let him put that compassion in your heart this morning. And then what I want, to, I want you to do is I want you to turn it into a prayer of hope. Because Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus does have hope for every person. The good news of Jesus the risen one can transform any human heart. I want you to turn it into a prayer of hope for the people of our city. Just let hope rise up in your heart. Just let faith rise up in your heart right now for that issue, for that group of people, for that person, for that struggle. Just let hope rise up in your heart. Hey, Andrew's just going to begin to lead us in singing. Just a prayer over our city. But I, as, as, as there's just a prayer of hope in your heart, I'm going to ask you just to come down the front and start to pray it. Sometimes there's an act of faith in just moving down here and just saying, God's put a prayer in my heart for this city and I'm going to declare it. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pray it in faith. You might think there's nothing special about coming down the front and in one way that's true. But sometimes you'll get here and you're just, the faith will start to rise in you and a prayer starts to come out of you that you actually didn't know was there yet. As we sing this song, this morning we're going to pray over it. Rather than coming down here to receive prayer, we're going to come down here to declare some big prayers over our city. When you're ready, just come and begin to pray. And I'm going to get us all to pray together in just a minute. Come on, just come down as you've got a prayer in your heart. <laughs>